This episode of Jude Talking To Me was recorded under lockdown conditions. Hello, I'm Rachel Krieger. And I'm Philip Simon. We're two Jewish comedians. I'm Orthodox. And I'm Reform. And this is the chat show that recreates the sensation of finding yourself on the miscellaneous table at your cousin Hannah's bat mitzvah. Everybody's convinced that whatever they tell you will somehow end up in one of your skits. Each week we'll bring you two of our favourite funny Jews to chat about their lives and experiences growing up and how much Jewishness plays a part. At Kiddish, are they Palwins number 10 or Mamba number 5? Welcome to Jew Talking to Me. So Philip, what's the most Jewish thing that's happened to you this week? I learned what the numbers on the bottles of Palwins Kiddish wine mean. Really? Yes, and I'm going to tell you this is a learning moment. Uh, so most people will know that the Palwins have numbers on the bottles. Palwins number 10 might be your favourite. And those numbers are the bus routes of the buses that go past the winery in Jerusalem. What an excellent pub quiz question. I love it. And I think that, that was a really useful thing for me to learn. And I'm hoping that is going to be your Jewish moment of the week because you were the one that told me. That's true. I was trying to kind of look like I didn't know that you knew, but obviously we had that conversation earlier today. So what, what is yours? If it's not that, what's what's your most Jewish moment this week? I bought a new computer and it didn't work. It was like overheating straight away. So I had to call up PC World. I was on hold for 45 minutes. Eventually the phone was answered by this guy who went like, hi, I'm James very cash and you could just hear in his voice that he's like a guy living on his own sitting in his flat I mean I know everybody's working from home but you could just tell he's sort of relaxing on the sofa one arm spread out one hand holding a beer and he's got his lockdown hair he's probably wearing pants and some kind of filthy old rock band t-shirt eating a pot noodle and he's changing the channels um, on the television with one big toe and answering his calls with the other big toe and he's watching men behaving badly with the sound off and the subtitles on while he speaks to me. And I just want to check why was this your most Jewish moment this week? Because all I could think of was uh, how much he really needed chicken soup. I was desperate to go around there and feed him and make sure he's looking after himself. We had this whole conversation and at the end he said, is there anything else you want to know? And I was like, are you okay James? Do you need anything? How's isolation? That's very sweet. I'm not sure you can at the end of that call when he says, is there anything else you want to know? Ask him for his address. <laughs> I'm very Jewish. What can I tell you? But this show isn't all about us or even James from PC World. It's time to bring on our guest and our first guest is known as Ms. Showbiz. She's an incredibly experienced and well-known producer and casting director. Her credits include things like The Professionals, Quadrophenia, Chariots of Fire, Birds of a Feather, and even surprisingly for a Jew, a Christmas special of One Foot in the Grave. She's currently is an actress appearing on Sky with I Hate Susie and Billy Piper. So let's welcome to the show, Esther Charkham. Hello, you two. Hello. Hi. How's it going, <laughs> Esther? It's all right. That was a bit blimey, Rachel. Um, <laughs> I'm not, that's my first acting role since 19... Since 1997. Nevertheless, I'm thrilled to have done it, and it was huge fun. There you are on the television, being amazing. Back again, that's me. What's the most Jewish thing that's happened to you recently, Esther? At lunchtime today, I took some chicken soup out of the freezer. The chicken soup that was made by my Brazilian friend, Nusa, who who lives in Stamford Hill, and comes and makes me this fantastic chicken soup. 
and we had it with Lockshan for lunch and it was just fantastic. A fantastic thing to have on a Tuesday. <laughs> you won't believe this, but I had the same lunch as you. Did you? I also had chicken soup today for lunch. Um, I found a portion knocking about in the fridge. I'd forgotten to put in the freezer and I yeah. had chicken soup with challah, honestly, on a Tuesday. I felt oh. like the biggest Jewish rebel that has ever existed. What's going to happen next? Shop liver on a Wednesday? I had rye bread. I had Cohen's yeah. butter and rye from Waitrose. There you go. It's time to bring on our second guest. He's a writer and director with film credits, including Leon the Pig Farmer and The Unseen, theatre show called Not Moses and currently the writer and director of the Jewish Inquirer which is on Amazon. Let's welcome Gary Senior. Hello. 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 How are you doing Gary? I'm very well thank you. Gary what's the most Jewish thing that's happened for you recently? Today was the first day that I took my five-year-old daughter back to school for the first time since lockdown and uh, and so met a whole pile of other parents who were all going back to school for the first time as well with their children so there was a whole big Jewish gathering outside the school post lockdown so that's probably the most Jewish thing that's happened to me of late. I mean I did walk up the road on Saturday with the rabbi and his wife but they lived three doors down so. And Gary how did it feel taking your child back to school we have two children of teaching age so uh getting shot of one was quite good in the nicest possible way it only left me with with one to teach today so we have quite an interesting thing where i get him into school uniform in the mornings i get them both in school uniform and they leave the house they they wander up the road and then they turn around about 100 yards up come back and come in through the front door and are greeted by me pretending to be a guy called mr david who then becomes their teacher for the day and then we go upstairs to the classroom and from that from that time on they're calling me mr david for the rest of the day oh that's fantastic that's that absolutely is. brilliant. I've never that's heard anything like that. Where did the name come from? It was just what happened where they said, what should we call you? And I said, Mr. David. <laughs> Why I didn't say Mr. Ventakaranga Pan, which is a name we constantly <laughs> use, I don't know. But anyway, Mr. David is who it is. And Lisa has became Miss Ashley. So she's the teacher who takes over in the afternoons. I love it. Do you have a blackboard at home that you can write it on Mr. David? Did you <laughs> We have a whiteboard uh, where they put register in the mornings and they write their own names. They come in and Daniel comes in and writes his name. Amy writes her name. And then they sit down and do shakrit. (laughs) They do the shema and sing moderani. And they sit on these little seats. And I must tell you, it's they are better behaved when they are with Mr. David than they are when they're with me. I'm thinking of becoming Mr. David on a full-time basis. <laughs> Gary, I really wish we'd had that conversation 12 weeks ago because I have massively failed at homeschooling my children. And I I wish I'd known that if I'd just come up with a character of somebody who could be their teacher, maybe they would have respected that character more than me they do switch i mean there's they're six and five but they do switch and they call me mr david they're, and they're very aware of who mr david you know they're very aware said oh mr david you also have two children who are the same age as us by coincidence in a way it's the opposite of what happens with my husband because he used to be a teacher and at different points he's taught at the schools where my kids went to school and he's been called daddy in the classroom by by his own children (laughs) i tweeted a few weeks ago oh great now my son's being bullied at home school for calling his teacher mummy and uh, (laughs) there were people out on the internet who genuinely thought that my child was being bullied and were offering advice and help 
we always like to start our show by finding how you guys are doing generally. So uh, maybe it's not about homeschooling that, that is your issue. But Gary, what's the matter, Bubbler? I'm generally okay, but I am annoyed with all things social media. This for me defines Facebook. As I joined, rejoined Facebook after a, a sort of hiatus of two years when I'd previously gone off it because I hated it. And I rejoined. And then I noticed my settings didn't have me down as married. So I, I thought, well, I'll change that. So I went into settings and I changed myself to married. And at this point, I had something like 435 friends. And what this did, what Facebook did, was it announced on Facebook that I had got married. <laughs> <laughs> and so my wife, Lisa, to whom I've been married for, you know, like nine years or whatever, was like, what the hell's going on? But here's the thing. I had 435 people who are friends and three people commented on the fact that I changed my status despite the fact I've been married to married. And that just goes to show me how completely useless it is. I think I'm talking to people and I'm not. The followers, now when you go and talk to an actor, quite often the producers are saying, how many followers has this actor got? Yeah, yeah. Because mm -hmm. that becomes, instead of it being about the talent of the actor, it becomes about how many blooming followers the actor has got on Twitter and becomes part of the casting process. It Absolutely. Is I think I noticed it with the Facebook thing you talked about, Gary, when uh, you get these anniversary notifications that tell you you've been friends with someone for three years. And it's like, well, actually, she gave birth to me 41 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> the thing I, I love in Facebook is the memories is every morning without fail, once I've done my COVID-19 app, survey i go to memories and i see all the things that i've been doing over the last 12 years and some of them are, re are really fun some of the memories that i've got that have happened over those years so i like that bit very much i'm not sure about the memories because i think there is something very odd about you updating your status on Facebook. You know, you might say something like, looking forward to this gig tonight. And then Facebook says, yeah, but you remember what you were doing a year ago? Oh, that was uh, Yeah, yeah. At the beginning of lockdown, what I found was that my Facebook memories were coming up with last year, you're doing this comedy show, the year before you're doing this comedy show, blah, 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 going back, theatre show, theatre show, theatre show. And then at the same time, my Google calendar would send an alert to tell me, where in the UK I'm supposed to be doing a gig that's been cancelled and I'm not getting paid now because of COVID-19. And it was quite a weird, look at all your achievements, look at what you're not doing. Yes, I think even if we do survive lockdown, in a year's time, we are all going to suffer from PTSD when we get the reminders telling us what we did a year ago. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's true. Obviously, we want to ask you the same question. What's the matter, Bubbler? Every morning I wake up and I think I'm Dorothy Parker and I say, what fresh hell is this? <laughs> I, I want to see the news, I want to listen to the news, and I switch it on and my heart breaks. My heart breaks for everybody all over the world. My heart breaks for the, the politics that are surrounding us, for the incompetence that surrounds us, for the idiocy that surrounds us. And I thank God that I'm 71 and, you know, I'm not a young person and I just don't know how they get the guts to go on every day. I really, for somebody who is always upbeat, I feel in great despair over the world at the moment, I have to say, so, which is why I'm really happy to be here to cheer me up and hopefully I can cheer some other people up with, with some nice things rather than harping on, you know, the fresh hell that we greet every morning. Well, I hope this is a nice thing, but I was astonished when you just said how old you were. What, 71? Yeah, I thought you were way younger than that. Oh, you flatter you. <laughs> 
it's not only James from PC World's diet that I worry about. I'm a proper Jewish mother, so I worry about what everybody's eating, even though I know what Esther have for lunch. Gary, have you got any particular memories relating to Jewish food or a particular Jewish meal, something that springs to mind? I'm a Sephardi, which is important. So uh, important to me, not so important to you. But um, we did used to have a sheep's head on Rosh Hashanah when wow. we were growing up as children, which was truly disgusting. I've got like a horrible... Uh, f- sort of over fascination with food which translates into my films and, and tv things so there was the, in leon the pig farm was the scene where he had to eat a lobster um which was uh, horrendous for mark frankel and horrendous for me filming it but um the the thing that that interests me is is i still maintain uh, the uh, idea of being kosher i know i have mentioned i've got two younger children but i've also got two older children who are 21 and 19 and that when the 19 year old my son who's now in israel in the army when he was 17 we we've been telling him that that basically we were kosher we've been telling my elder children that that, that we were kosher so that uh, they would grow up to have that tradition and and we thought it would be good for them to be kosher and then he was 17 we we're in golders green going for a falafel and i said uh, what are you going to do when you go to israel and he said well i probably won't be kosher for a while and then i'll go kosher again so i said all right okay and i, I said okay now's the time to break it to him so i looked at him and i said jonathan i have to tell you when you go not kosher you'll be joining the club and he looked at me and he said are you not kosher and i said <laughs> No, we're not. We're not. We're not kosher. And he said, uh, "I haven't been kosher since I was 13. And, um, <laughs> and and it was just this revelation that we'd been we'd both been going to the same restaurants and hiding in the back because he didn't want me to see him and I didn't want him to see me. And every time he came around for a Friday night, he was telling his friends, "Don't tell Dad we went for Nando's." And every time we came for a Friday night, I was saying to Lisa, "Don't tell Jonathan that we were here, Jonathan and Rachel." And we had them when they came out on a holiday with us. They they brought kosher meat with them in in frozen frozen kosher meat in huge bags, which we then had to charcoal and pretend as though we'd been kosher. And uh, and all the time we were hiding this from each other. So I find it hilarious and comforting that this is what the Jewish religion leads us to. I went to a Jewish primary school that was an Orthodox school, but obviously the clientele was from a mixed range of observers. And on Monday morning, you always had to write your news, like what you'd done over the weekend. And everybody knew that you wrote um, for Saturday, I went to shul and I went to the children's service and then we had lunch and you never wrote what you did on Saturday afternoon. It's as if the teachers didn't know that what people were doing was going to McDonald's, or going to the shops or like going out to play. It's like the people that drive to shul but park around the corner. Mm. Yeah. Hide the keys in the pocket because they don't want to rub it in anyone else's face when you know that everyone has parked around the corner. You see, my grandfather was very good at this. He was from Syria. When he used to get called up to the Torah, he would come down jingling coins in his pocket it's just the Sephardi way, you know. Esther, have you got a story about Jewish food? I am one of the few Jews in the world that hates salt beef. Um, I know I can't bear it. I can't bear all the fat on it. I used to work in a restaurant called the Widow Applebaum's Delicatessen and Bagel Academy that was the first smart delicatessen in Mayfair in South Moulton Street in the very early 70s and it was an evening and weekend job because I was saving up for a car and um, it was opened by two film producers who brought a chef from Los Angeles to teach everybody how to do the salt beef and the pastrami and and, and the cavilta fish and everything and I worked there and so I kind of went off Jewish food a lot although interestingly 
it was there on a Shabbos morning, on a Saturday morning, that I used to serve David Putnam his lochin soup because he used to love coming in for a, a, a bowl of lochin soup on a Saturday morning. I like the fact that that's an academy. It was called the Bagel Academy. You know, that they taught you how to make bagels there, but they called them bagels. Because it was owned by an American, he called them bagels. And I think that's when most of London caught on calling them bagels because I'd always been brought up being sent out first thing on a Sunday morning to get the Bibles from Mr. Brayer, the Bibles and the smoked salmon, which, you know, I would do along Sidmouth Road in Wilsdon and bring them back so that we could have them and some onion platzels for lunch. I used to live on Chatsworth Road. Oh, did you really? I grew up in Sidmouth Road. I know, because you mentioned Sidmouth, but I was like... <laughs> I've got to tell you, Esther, hearing you talk about bagels or bagels is like music to my ears, because especially as now, maybe we can even trace the origin of when it came over to this country. And that's quite nice, because for a lot of Bruegesses, you don't know where they started. I'd love it if you could share with us now uh, your very own Bruegesses. I have a general Bruegess with God. Uh, mm -hmm. At the moment, I think he's winning on that one, but I, I hope at some point to meet him or her and, and put that matter right. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, we're, we're in dispute. Um, hence, I did the play called Not Moses. But I also have a, I have a broader dispute with Hebrew class more generally. And this stems from two things. One, when I was the, at the age of seven, my dad was president of the synagogue and uh, my brother got first prize in a very lavish ceremony in the synagogue. Second prize went, which was reasonable, although I should have got it, to a guy called Jonathan Jacobs. And third prize, which was absolutely mine, should have been mine, obviously was mine, went to some guy called Martin Horish, who'd only been to synagogue three times in the past year and who was not entitled to any kind of prize at all, but whose dad was a big, big giver in the community. And my mm. dad, who was president of the synagogue, had decided that it would look better for him. And I remember getting up and walking out of the synagogue and sort of totally uh, inconsolable, walking off into the distance of being chased by people saying, we'll give you another prize, we'll give you another. I was like, no, this is corrupt. <laughs> I was seven years old, and I'm not having anything more to do with it. And 10 years mm. later, I was um, a teacher in the Hebrew classes. And, and the rabbi, who, who will remain nameless, but he had a very particular voice, called me into his office and said, who will be receiving second prize in your class? And I said, well, second prize will be going to, um, I won't mention her name, but Tanya, Tanya A. Rubbish, he said. Second prize will go to Joe Hakim's little boy. And who will be receiving first prize? And I said, well, first prize, as time was getting a bit sweaty, will go to Daniel. Nonsense! This rabbi... <laughs> <laughs> and this for me is like it was a defining my my relationship with hebrew classes has become a sort of defining thing of my uh, relationship with god religion all things religious but there you go that's i have a broigus with hebrew classes it sounds like you also have a broigus with privilege and parentage being the ones that that maybe mean that the child gets something they're not necessarily right for or qualified for. Can I suggest you don't look at the Conservative Party too closely? <laughs> I had a similar experience to an extent that I was working um, on a show with one of the schools and there was a particular girl who was sort of not that brilliant. You know, she didn't, she didn't really compare to a lot of the other people who performed in the show. And one of the teachers got in touch afterwards and said, you do need to cast that particular girl. The thing is that her family really donate a lot of money to the school. She gets whatever role she wants. And I said, no, I put her in. But I mean, she was a tree or something like. I think, Rachel, you should have made a point 
of making her play the role of a tree and put gold plaques on the tree, listing all the people that donated. In order to <laughs> in order that would to have been amazing. Esther, what about you? I left Heder because a very young Israeli teacher called Mr. Hofstadter decided that I was a menace to the class and he took me by my ear and twisted my ear and made me stand outside the class. He was probably right that I should stand outside the class. Um, and when I went home that evening, my ear was all red and swollen. And my mother said, what's happened to your ear? And I said, Mr. Hofstadter twisted it because I was flirting with the boys. And she went to the rabbi and got him fired. She said it was assault on a teenage girl. And are you still in a Bruegus with Mr. Hofstadter? Absolutely in a Bruegus with Mr. Hofstadter, yeah. I'm also in a Bruegus. I wanted a bar mitzvah and they would never let me have a bar mitzvah. They said I could have a bat mitzvah, which mm. came in a, a bit later when I was about 16. I said, I don't want a bat mitzvah. I want to get up there and I want to read a portion of the law like the boys do. I was smart and bright and clever and I wanted to do it and nobody would let me do it. And that just, you know, disenchanted me for life, really. Whereas I wasn't smart, wasn't bright and wasn't clever and was allowed to do it. Yeah, there you go. That's not fair. <laughs> no. <laughs> Esther, which liberal shawl are you a member of? St John's Wood, LJS. When I first started doing stand-up comedy, when I was an actor, one of the longest temp jobs I had for about three years, I worked in the office at the LJS. Did I was, you? I did. Membership administrator, I guess, would be my role. Uh, about three years. I, f I finished in, I think, 2016. I started going there because I volunteered for the drop-in, the refugee, asylum seeker and refugee drop-in. Yeah. I just happened, my father was very ill and was quite old, and he was at uh, St. John Elizabeth in the hospice. And I picked up a Jewish chronicle there when I was visiting one afternoon, and I saw this article about the refugee drop-in. And I talked to him about it and I said, well, it's only up the road. I'm going to go up and have a look. So I went up and the, and the next, it was a Sunday afternoon. And the next day I phoned one of the people that ran it. And they said, if you'd like to come, you can come. And so I did and I started going and I've been there for now uh, nearly five years. And I joined about three years ago. And, you know, I found my tribe really. Um, and my favorite Jew in the whole world is Rabbi Alex Wright, who is just my guru. I just think she's amazing and fantastic. I think she's the most remarkable young woman. Now I've, I feel, because I'm a member of a liberal shore, I feel like I found my home, interestingly, and refound my Judaism, which is liberal Judaism, which is, is great, and I'm thrilled. It really is I'm one of the loveliest communities, actually. As a temp job, I was only meant to be there for three weeks, and I enjoyed it so much. I enjoyed the community, the staff, and the office environment. Uh, and I was there for three years. It seems that I left before you joined, so I can't even claim your membership as mine. Uh, no, sorry. <laughs> that's okay. I, I was certainly around the, there around the time when they were setting up the project that you were talking about, which is amazing. Yeah. And it's, yeah. I'm so happy to hear that it's still going. But that's great. I love connections like this. Yeah. I mean, normally around this time in the show, we would be exploring our concept of six degrees of can't eat bacon, where we look for connections. But so far, we've got the fact that Philip, when he was a jobbing actor, he left that job just before one of the biggest casting directors in the UK <laughs> joined the show and could have changed his life forever. And also we've discovered that, you know, Gary and Esther grew up near each other, it sounds like, or yeah. lived in the same place. Other than the people that you directly work with, who would be 
your most famous connection? Uh, I've met the Queen, but the the most famous Jewish person I think you asked was uh, was Harvey was is Harvey Weinstein. Ooh. Used to get phone calls from when I was in my flat in Chatsworth Road, uh, near where you were, Esther, and yeah. uh, and where we shot bits of Lee on the Pig Farmer. And um, I'd get these phone calls at, you know, one o'clock in the morning from Harvey saying, you know, we'll fly you out, Gerald, fly you out in my private jet, sort of screaming down the phone. Uh, and eventually, and you know what, we met a number of times. Eventually, uh, I did uh, sell one film to him, a thing called Stiff Upper Lips with Peter Ustinov and Prunella Scales, and, uh, which is a spoof of British period drama, which is very funny. It's got one Jewish joke in it. Yeah, so I've met, I've met Harvey. I could tell stories about him being yeah. an ogre. He was a bully, wasn't he? I mean, he was a bully to everybody. He was an absolute ogre to work with, and everyone knew it. You know, given that this was 30, well, no, 20-odd years ago, there was a long time when he could have been taken down and he wasn't. The power that people wield in showbiz can be problematic because there are so many people desperate and hungry for the work. So, mm. Do you want to know about some nice Jews, nice famous Jews? Yes, yes. nice famous Jew, go on. I had the privilege and pleasure of working for a man called Alexander H. Cohen, who is a great Broadway showman, and I ran his London office for a while. There was the most wonderful, delightful man called Sammy Khan, who was a brilliant, brilliant lyricist. And he brought Sammy Khan to London to play what was then called the New London Theatre in something called Sammy Khan's Songbook. And he was the most delightful man. He was funny. He was charming. He was incredibly witty. He wrote wonderful lyrics. And for my father's 50th birthday, he wrote me specific lyrics to Lady is a Tramp, which we, we sang as That's Why My Daddy is a Champ, with lines like, he doesn't drink much, just Canadian booze. He loves the Arsenal, whether they win or lose. Um... Oh, I wish I could remember it all. But it was just such lovely lyrics, uh, which I was able to sing then for Dad on his 50th birthday, which Sammy Khan had written the lyrics for. He'd typed them out. He'd signed them. So he was a lovely Jew. Alexander Cohen was a lovely Jew. I got to work with Jack Rosenthal, God rest his soul, who I adored, on the musical of Bummits for Boy with Jack and Don Black and a character called Martin Charnin who Joyce Blair used to say, Martin Charning doesn't get dressed every day, he gets into costume. He was the director. And so that was a wonderful experience, working with all of those Jews on that Jewish show. Um, and I've worked with a lot of Jewish people. I do find that in this business, Jewish people do gravitate to each other. I mean, I worked with, you know, Marks and Gran when I was a partner of theirs, when they formed their production company. Um, so I think Jews do, creative Jews do gravitate towards each other. I also think the reasons that Jews gravitate to each other is we're funny. Jews are intrinsically funny people, whether it's uh, on stage performing or just at home with our families. We wanted to know whether you had any particularly favourite Jewish jokes, because if laughter is the best medicine, why do we need chicken soup? Well, I do have a favourite Jewish joke going back a, lot, a long, long time. Um, it's dubious in terms of how rude it might be, but I'll try <laughs> and tell the cleanest version that I can. It's about a, a, a Jewish couple... Why are all Jewish jokes, why do they all have Ashkenazim in them? You never have Sephardi people. It's always Jaime. Anyway, so it's Jaime and um, and Rachel, and uh, they've had an argument. They're a married couple. They've had an argument, and, and Jaime goes off to work, 
and he thinks I'd better do something. And he, he gets like a dozen red roses and he brings them back to the house. And Rachel opens the front door and, and uh, Jaime offers her these flowers. And Rachel takes him by the tie into the bedroom and she takes off all her clothes and she lies back in what can only be, in, be called an accommodating position. And she <laughs> says, uh, Jaime, this is for the roses. And Jaime says, haven't you got a vase? <laughs> <laughs> it's the only one I know. But it's great. And it, I think in a non-Jewish environment, that joke would work. The the difference is well, you've called the characters something Jewish. I yeah. have this theory that there's no such thing as a Jewish joke. We just call the characters Abe and Sol and Jaime and it becomes Jewish. Yeah, I mean, there was that thing, Old Jews Telling Jokes, which was a great little mm -hmm. series. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was yeah. great. That was, that was hilarious. But I do wonder whether that was American. I wonder whether these things are American. You try and transpose that to Hampstead, it doesn't mm. quite work. No, no, you know, it's it, doesn't, it just doesn't work with the Hampstead Jewish community. Mm. It does work with Brooklyn. Clearly, you two are both very entertaining people, and we've had an absolute lovely time chatting to you. But I want to know what you get up to at parties and things like that. You can't just be telling all these wonderful anecdotes and your own jokes as well. Uh, do you have a particular party trick? Is this something that you're a maven of? I can tell you I have some party tricks which are talking about myself, but also <laughs> I have um, a gift of a memory for actors, actresses, films, cast lists, and mostly I can tell you, that's why I'm so brilliant at Pointless, which is my favorite game show, because I can tell you, I can give you such obscure uh, names of people who were in movies. And indeed my parents could too. People used to phone my parents 11 o'clock at night to say who was the actor that did so-and-so-and-so-and-so -and -so -and -so in whatever it was, and they would be able to tell them. And I've inherited that from them. So anytime you don't know who somebody is in a film or on the stage or a character in a TV show, ask me and I'll be able to tell you. I will definitely be taking you up on that. Okay. Gary, is this something you're a maven of? First of all, this is a very Sephardi thing, so don't throw the word maven at me. This is uber Sephardi. This is as Sephardi as you will ever get on the show. So I am one of the few people in the Anglo-Jewish community who knows all of a woman called Um Kalsum, who was an Egyptian singer. She was the Piaf of Egypt in the 1950s and 60s. This was a woman who uh, has radio shows to this day that just play one song over and over and again. And this one is called Inta Omri. My dad used to listen to it all the time. I know the whole of Inta Omri, which is a 40-minute dirge uh, accompanied by uh, really amazing uh, violins. But basically, I know the whole thing off by heart. It's all in Arabic. But I'll give you a little mm -hmm. taster of what Inta Omri by Um Kalsum, which incidentally has been re-recorded by Israeli artists many, many times. She's known throughout the Middle East. Anyway, here you've got a little bit of Inta Omri. Inta Omri and it goes on like that. I have no idea what it means. Well, it's almost the end of the show, but how can people find you if you never write and you never call? Normally, we'd allocate 20 seconds for you to do this, but for you, 30. You can find me on Esther Lechark on Twitter and on Instagram. Um, I work a lot for the LJS Asylum Seekers drop-in, uh, and we are launching a campaign raising money for our poor asylum seekers and refugees 
who have had no help from the government during this lockdown. Thank you. Excellent. Gary? I wish I could say my was something to do with charity now, because it, it's going to sound very <laughs> self-serving. But I'm, <laughs> um, I have just, for charity, made a series called The Jewish Inquirer, which is a sitcom which has been compared quite favourably to a British Curb Your Enthusiasm. It's like Curb, but without the money. Um, and the <laughs> and um, it stars Tim Downey, Lucy Montgomery, Jeff McGiven, and Josh Howey. And it was all set in Finchley. And it's basically, yeah, it's Curb, stroke Seinfeld, stroke Friday Night Dinner with a bit more swearing. And uh, I've started writing season two. And uh, it's all for charity. It's all for charity. <laughs> charity. Well, this has been fantastic. I've really enjoyed chatting to you and hearing all your stories. And from now on, I'm always going to think of Esther as the Jew who studied at Widow Applebaum's Delicatessen and Bagel Academy, while Gary is the Jew who moonlights as a teacher called Mr. David. Well, as my grandmother used to say when she wanted us to end our telephone calls, you must have better things to do than talk to us, which is a good thing because we've come to the end of this week's show. We'd like to thank our guests, Esther Charkham and Gary Senior. Follow them on social media. Follow us on social media at Jew Talking without the G. And we look forward to seeing you next time on Jew Talking to Me. You Talking To Me was hosted by me, Rachel Krieger. And me, Philip Simon. And it was produced by Russell Bulkins. I've got to get the kittens in. I think she was making up an excuse. She just wants to go. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Pippi! Um... <laughs>